My name is Jay, if, uh, if we haven't gotten a chance to meet, and, uh, and I get to uh, pastor the community here called Cultivate. And so if you're new with us, welcome, and uh, we're, we're glad that you're part of our family gathering. And we call it our family gathering because we're the family of God, and we, uh, we enjoy meeting together uh, to be reminded of Jesus and his greatness and goodness in our life, and to be equipped for uh, the works that God has called us to do and to be a part of the rest of the week. And so that's why we're here uh, this morning. So welcome. Uh, we've been going through a series uh, called Colossians, and it's in the book or the letter called Colossians. Um, and we're going to be on page 822 again if you're going to follow along with us. I'll give you a chance to, to go uh, to that page if you're going to follow in the Bibles that we've got. Um, but it's a letter that's written to this small community that's about four years old. And uh, Paul is writing them to encourage them in a whole bunch of things so that they remain faithful to Jesus, so they don't forget uh, His work in their life and and that everything uh, is about Jesus and that He's the one who's filling them and He's the one who's making them new and He's the one who's enabling them to to live different lives and to to change from the inside out. And so a whole bunch of encouragement. I hope uh, the series has been encouraging to you as we've gone through it. Um, But if you remember, last week we spent a little bit of time talking about how Paul uh, says to the church that now because of Jesus, because He lives in you if, you, if you belong to Him, you now have the ability to put your old self to death. And so there, there was this, this person called you before you came to know Jesus, and there was a whole bunch of stuff that was uh, kind of uh, you know, true of that person. And then when you come to Jesus, God cleanses you, forgives you, makes you a new person, but then over time, He actually enables you to get rid of the old person. So all the things that used to be true of you that you think, man, am I ever going to get victory over those things? Am I ever going to see change? Am I ever going to be renewed? God is saying, yes, you have the ability now because I live in you by My Spirit and I'm making you new, even today. And so we talked about what that means and how that looks for our everyday life. And, and, and for us, a lot of times, we think of the Gospel as being about this past event, right? The Gospel as being that we are forgiven of our sins, that we're made new, but that's all about the past. Or it's all about the future, and it has nothing to do with today. And we need to be reminded constantly that the Gospel isn't just the power of God to save us from the penalty of sin in the past, It's not just the power of God to save us from the presence of sin someday in the future when we get to this place called heaven. It's actually the power of God to save us from the power of sin today. That we have the ability, because of Jesus in us, to see real change, to see us overcome those things that habitually keep us enslaved to sin. We've been given that ability and that power. And so I hope that that was good news to you. We're actually going to spend today talking about the other half of that ability. So last week we talked about kind of the ability for us to put our old selves to death. But that's not the whole story. Um, We have the ability to actually live out new lives because of the power of the Gospel too. And here's the thing. Oftentimes, we think or have been taught or our experience in the church has been that part of being a Christian is really just about sin management. Right? You ever hear that before? Like, it's really just about putting to death all kinds of bad things 
keeping yourself from doing all kinds of bad things and associating yourselves with people who do bad things. So if you can just, you know, be really good at putting those things to death, then you've got the whole story. And, and that's not the whole story as we're going to see today. There's a whole bunch of other things that are on the positive side that, that Paul wants to make sure that we understand that we can actually live out the positive aspects of the Gospel. It's not just about managing sin. It's about enabling us to live out something good. And so if you've been taught that, please, just today, let the good news of that wash over you. It's not just about you not doing bad things. It's about you getting to live a life that God enables you to live by His Spirit that is good, is for you, is to be lived in community. It's not just about the bad stuff. Um, Because here's the thing. If our lives as believers and followers of Jesus is simply about sin management, that all that ends up, all that we end up doing is actually substituting one category of sin for another. Here's what I mean by that. So last week we talked about sins like lust and greed and, and selfishness, um, those types of things. But here's the thing. If you just focus your life on putting to death those, those bad things, then you'll just substitute those things for a whole different set of things. So instead of being kind of somebody that's habitually enslaved to lust, if you just focus on kind of the, the putting to death lust, then what you'll end up doing is becoming very self-righteous about your ability to put to death lust. You know? And we talked about lying last week. And so instead of lying, you do really like hard work at trying to put to death the old self, which you know, lied habitually about a bunch of things. And then instead of putting on new things and concentrating on the positive aspects of what the Gospel does in us, we just end up looking down our nose at people that still lie. And so rather than being caught up in like lust and lying, now we're self-righteous and we look down at other people. It, it, that is not the life that God calls us to live. In fact, you wouldn't want to be around a community that does that, right? And so oftentimes the church is focused on putting to death the bad things, and then they fall into another category of less kind of, you know, so, or more socially acceptable bad things. Nobody wants to be around a community that's full of lust and greed and lying, but nobody wants to be around a bunch of self-righteous people that look down their nose at others either, right? God doesn't want either of those things for us. He actually wants something for us, for us to attain so that we would actually grow to be more like Him. And that's the, the, the important truth of the Gospel. So it's not just about keeping ourselves from doing bad things. It's actually about getting to live a new life by God's power. And so what does that look like? That's what we're going to look at today. And uh, so we're going to be in Colossians 3, verses 1 through, or I'm sorry, verses 11 through uh, 17. So, and here's what I'd like you to do as we're going through this, because he's going to name off a whole bunch of things that are true now of, of a community that's being changed by the gospel. And so here's what I'd like you to do. As we're going through the list, don't just let the list wash over you. It's so easy for us as we're reading our Bibles or as we're having it read to us by someone else, just to let it pass like you know before our eyes, kind of in one ear and out the other, and we never actually hear the words that are being said. And here's the key. Whenever you're reading your Bible or whenever you're hearing it spoken to you, it is, in fact, God's Word for you. And so 
be sure to be intentional about making it God's Word for you. So as we're going through this together, uh, be praying, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to see? In particular, where do you want me to grow? What do you want me to change in? And how would I do that? Okay? Because there, there are things in here that all of us need to grow in. So if we get through the end of the list and you're like, no, I'm pretty good. I'm like checked off every box. Um, we're probably not being honest with ourselves, right? Probably not. So, so pray as, as we're going through this and see what the Spirit reveals to you. Because we're, we're going to do a little bit of training just like we did last week, only we're going to focus on some of the things that he talks about and how we actually grow in those things. So I'm going to ask you for feedback on what things that we spend most of our time on because I want this to be most beneficial for you. Does that make sense? So let's read. Here, meaning here in the community of God, there is no Gentile or Jew. Gentiles were anyone that wasn't a Jewish person. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Scythians were... Uh, uh, this kind of nomadic group of people that were looked down upon because they thought they don't have like the morals that, that, that we do. They don't have the education that we do. People look down upon them. But Christ is in all, and, or is all, and He is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any one of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So I'm going to ask you this, and we're going to, I'm going to come back to this in a second too. But what are some of the things that you heard are to be true of a community that is being changed by the gospel? What are some of the things that Paul highlights and says, here's the things that we should see growing on our tree? Remember we used the analogy of the tree last, last week, so we're going to kind of go back to that again. What are some of the things up here? Notice he says, forgive if someone has a grievance. Oftentimes we think that the Bible calls us to forgiveness when we have nothing to forgive others for. You know, so it's like, oh yeah, it's easy to forgive others. And then somebody really does something against you and you go, I will not forgive them. Paul's going, no, that's exactly when you should forgive them, right? How, and that, by the way, that's really hard to do. And so we need to know how to do it. We need to be trained up in how we do that well, right? What else? Yeah, so y- unity, right? Love which binds it all together, he says, right? Yeah, so um, how would you put that? Maybe in submission to the Father. Grace or, or graciousness, right? Was there any other ones? That's a pretty complete list. So here's the question. 
How do you grow in those things? How do you actually see yourself change so that you become more like this? (laughs) Yeah, right. Try really hard. Let me ask this. What are some of the ways we often try to grow in these things? Or use as maybe a motivational tool to see ourselves grow? Okay, good. Yeah, so trying to maybe grow in those things by actively participating in things that, and that call for that stuff. Okay, good. Yeah, right. So uh, it's one thing to grow in compassion. It's another thing to look at somebody else and go, I'm a lot more compassionate than them. So I, it must be on my tree because it's definitely not on theirs. We do that, right? We do that comparison game. Right, yeah. So the notoriety that we may get for something. Which is funny because it's like, you can tweet about humility. Does that make you humble? <laughs> yeah, right. If you get retweeted, sure, yeah. Did you see how many retweets I got on my humility post? It was awesome. Everyone thinks I'm humble. Yeah, good, good. We'll talk about how to do that, yeah. What are some of the other ways that we might try, though? Yeah. Or like... Right, I feel guilty that I don't forgive other people, and if I just feel guilty enough about my unforgiveness, then I'll actually be forgiving. Right, or calling other people to to do that. Yeah. See, and and does that work? I don't know. We keep trying as as if it does work, right? But does it really work? And how compassionate am I being, man, if I just brought them here and then they could grow in their gratitude? You know, so like you think of all the other things, you're like, man, I would really be a compassionate person if I just brought so-and-so along to listen to this message. (laughs) You know? So if you help other people grow in other areas, that must mean that you're helping yourself grow in a certain... Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, so if we see like some fruit, but not all the fruit, we go, well, you know, I'm a pretty good tree, you know? Yeah, right. I'm just not a very patient person. Have you ever said that to yourself? Of course you're not a patient person. None of us are patient people apart from the Spirit giving us patience. Here's the thing though about fruit. It either all grows up together or it doesn't grow at all. It's not When you look at, at Galatians 5, when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he doesn't say the fruits. Which is interesting, right? Because we often like to pick and choose which fruit we'd like to grow in. And we leave the rest off our tree and go, ah, well, that one's not really important. Paul goes, no, if you're actually submitted to the Spirit, you'll see yourself growing in all those areas. And the more that He gets a hold of your heart, the more you're going to grow in every area. So you're not just going to see love without peace. You're going to see them all start to grow. It's part of the encouragement, but it's also part of the challenge, right? See, here's the thing. We use all kinds of different means and, and, and processes to try to grow in these types of things. But do they really work? See, we we often try to use punishment as a motivating tool for ourselves. Uh, We try to use uh, rewards as a a motivating tool for ourselves. We use social pressure and expectation of others. We use moralistic rules and regulations to try to grow in these areas. And my question to you is, how is it going? How are those things working for you? Are they actually growing you in those areas that you so desperately long to grow in. But you'll notice here, when Paul's talking about this list, here's what he never says. 
He never says, hey, forgive others because it's the right thing to do. Or it'll be good for them if you do it. He never says, let the live at peace because if you don't, it will be hell on earth. He never says, clothe yourselves with compassion because you'll be rewarded for it with an easier life if you're compassionate to others. He doesn't even say be compassionate to others because it will benefit them. Isn't that weird? Those are all the tools that we use to motivate ourselves to be these things. He doesn't use a single one of them. Why is that? Why is that? And yet, it's so often that we try to motivate ourselves into good behavior. We see bad fruit on our tree. We long for good fruit on our tree. And so we we convince ourselves or we tell ourselves that we should be bearing fruit and yet we're not. And so it's kind of like we go, fruit, I just need fruit. And if I think about it long enough, then it will appear on my tree. Or we convince ourselves that if we act in a good way, it will either keep us from avoiding some kind of punishment or we'll gain some kind of points for ourselves with God. And maybe then He'll reward us with something in return. Did you ever hear that? Think positively because if you think positively, then God will think positively of you. Put out positive thoughts and energy into the universe and those positive thoughts and energy will come back to you. The New Testament never says anything like that. And I don't think that's the way that God operates. You never find it anywhere in the Bible. See, here's the thing about producing this kind of fruit. Everything on the list. I mean, think about the kinds of things that are on the list. Peace and unity and kindness and love and gentleness and compassion. Patience, gratitude, grace, forgiveness, submission. Are those self-centered things or other-centered things? They're primarily other-centered, right? You can't be compassionate to someone else unless you're thinking other-centered rather than self-centered. And here's the... I'm just going to kind of like pull back the veil a little bit on why our motivations don't work because oftentimes we try to use self-centered motivations for other-centered goals. And it will not work. All that ends up happening in the end is that you end up more self-centered than you started. I'm going to be compassionate because it's going to go well for me. You're not thinking of others. You're thinking of yourselves if that's your motivation which means you'll never actually grow to be naturally compassionate. You'll always have to strain and you'll always have to think about it. You'll always have to be something that you're trying to produce and grow in yourself and something that you never actually see appear on your tree because that's who you are. Yeah, so if, all, if, if the reason that you're putting out forgiveness is so that others will think well of you because you forgave them and then they choose not to accept your forgiveness, do you still forgive them? Or do you become bitter against the person? See, oftentimes we, we think we're doing it for the right motivations and means, and then when it doesn't work out the way that we think it should, we end up bitter and hardened against people rather than more other-centered. It's a big problem, right? It's a big problem I see in my own heart, and I see in communities, and I see in the world. So here's the thing. How do you actually grow then if we've discovered all the reasons maybe it doesn't work? So one is uh, positive thinking because you think you're going to get a result out of your positivity. 
The other is looking at God and going, I know what's true of you, and therefore it leads me to think positively about my situation. We'll talk about maybe how to do that. And if I don't hit that specifically, please bring it up again. Okay? Um, so here's the thing. If, if putting our old selves to death is only possible by feeding deeply on the truths of the gospel, that's what we talked about last week, set your hearts and your minds on Jesus and then watch him work out his life through yours to defeat the things that you cannot defeat, right? That's what we talked about last week. How do you suppose that you're going to actually be able to put on the new self? The exact same process, right? And that's essentially what Paul says. He says you do it the same way, because this is what he says in verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Let it saturate you. Let it be so present in the community as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So one of the methods that the early church used was to to come up with songs that reminded them of the truths of the Gospel because they they didn't have a written word. And so how are they going to communicate this back and forth in a way that they could remember it constantly? Well, they sung to one another and they sung to God and that would remind them of all the things that are true of God so that they could live different lives. Sounds kind of like what we do, right, when we gather together. Part of the reason that we sing the songs that we do is to remind us of who God is so that we would live differently out of that identity. But here's the thing. It's, it's not just to, to let the, the message of Christ dwell among you richly isn't just about what happens up here. And a lot of times we, we cut off the process because we think that it, if we're a gospel-centered church, it just means that Jay preaches a gospel-centered message and our worship music is centered around the truths of the gospel and Jesus Christ. But if it never translates from the stage to the community, then we're not a saturated people. That's the truth. So when he's saying, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, he's saying, let the gospel be the thing that saturates even your everyday conversations with one another. Let that be the motivating tool as you speak to one another and teach one another how to live out the new life that you're called to. Don't just let it happen up here and then talk about a whole bunch of other stuff down there. Don't dwell in the, in the message of Jesus on stage and then dwell in some other message when you're not here on Sunday mornings. Dwell in it constantly. Because it's the thing that's going to change you. The thing that's going to make you new. And so the way that we grow in the life that God intends us to live is by allowing the message of who God is and what He's done to saturate every part of our lives. And by the way, this is good news for everyone. This isn't just for a certain group of people, the certain educated folks within the church, or the ones that have the theological background, or whatever the case might be. Because Paul reminds them at the very beginning of this section, hey, just so you remember, there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, which is a non-Roman citizen, or or even Scythian, those people that you look down upon to the, to the worst degree, the ones who are completely uneducated, the ones who are violent and uncivilized people. There's no distinction even between slaves and free because Christ is all and He is in all. So what Paul's saying is, 
Jesus is all that matters. He's all that's needed for change. And He, by the way, if you're part of His body, His family, is in all of you. And so you can learn how to depend on Him and grow in Him and learn from Him. And you can be even more advanced in it regardless of your standing and your education. I know people who are incredible at grounding themselves and other people, teaching others about the truths of the gospel that have absolutely no education whatsoever. They're just awesome at it. And you want to be around those people because every time you are, they just remind you of who Jesus is and you get built up when you're around them. And Paul's saying, I want that for all of you. He's in all and He is all. He's the one who's filling His church. He's the one who's doing it. And, and so I just... I need to pause for a second and just remind you that if you haven't given your life to Christ, this will be impossible for you. I'm not giving you a method that you can produce in, your, in and of yourselves without the Holy Spirit actually coming and residing in you. And so if you're not in Jesus yet because you haven't given your life over to Him, that is step number one. You can't do steps two and three and four without doing step number one, right? I think I've said that a number of times. I just want to remind us of that. He's the one who produces this in us. And because of that, there's no class of people that cannot do this. This is for absolutely everyone. So let me ask. Let's go back to our list here and just and, and maybe highlight a couple things. Which ones do you feel like you or we as a community need to do the most growing in? Okay. That's just a byproduct of being an American, right? Is that we need to grow in patience. Good, yeah. So being able to actually receive the truth and love from other people and not just go, well, you don't know. I don't know how many of these we'll get to, but we'll try to get as many as we can. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And here's the thing. If you go deep into one, you learn the process for it, you can reproduce it for the whole deal. That's, that's kind of how it works. And, but you're right. Everything is interconnected. So you'll see as we do one, you go, man, that has implications on all the other stuff. Uh, and there, there's no real gateway maybe into any one of these, but you'll see how they connect as we go along. Any, any other one you specifically go, yeah, we should highlight that. Yeah. Yeah. Another word for compassion, if you looked at the, the original of the, this passage, is mercy, which is very close to grace. The two of those ideas are very, very closely connected to one another. So yeah, maybe we'll highlight that too. I'm, I'm just going to go with the first one that, we, that somebody mentioned. We'll do, do patience. Why, why are we... Un, oh, let me, let me go through this. Do you remember the questions that I gave you last week? So this is what we do, which is related to who we are. Who are we? Which then is related to what? What God has done. Every behavior, whether good or bad, that's produced in our life is related in some way to these questions. Everything that we see produced in our life is a process of what kind of things that we believe about God. So in that way, whether or not we see this on our tree or not is a process of either unbelief in who God is or belief in the true God and who He is. So it's not disrelated. It can't be really compassionate people without understanding this and how that relates to each of the questions to lead us into compassion and grace and mercy. So let's talk about patience. Why aren't we patient? So what do, what do you think that's saying about us in terms of who we see ourselves as and our identity? 
not enough. Okay, how is that related to patience? Okay, yeah. So we want, um, yeah, we're, uh, what did you say? We're not enough. Yeah. Or we don't have enough. Yeah, I see how all these are related to one another, right? <clears throat> what else is it saying about our identity and who we are if we're impatient? Yeah, we're, we are very important. What else? I saw a few hands. Just rattle them off. What else are we saying about ourselves? Yeah, Gary. We're entitled. Darn it. Like, if there's something out there, then we want it. We want it now. We want it in abundance. We want it more than the other person. We deserve it. Yeah. We're deserving. Yeah, right. So we've been... And that's the truth, right? We are being discipled to be impatient people. When we talk about discipleship, discipleship is learning a way of life from a person or a system. If you're not learning to be discipled from Jesus, to live your life under submission to Him, you are learning from some other system. Every time. You're not... You're never not a disciple of something or someone. It's just a matter of who you're being discipled by. All of us continually, day by day, are being discipled by our culture. It's just the truth of the world that we live in. Like the whole dial-up thing. <laughs> You've got mail. Well, thank you. This just took me two hours to get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anything else about who we're saying we are? Yeah. That's the real root of it, right? We know what's best. We, really, we think that the world should revolve around us. That's, that's primarily, like, we are the center. Every time we're impatient with someone, every time we get cut off and we wish that person died in the process, we are, we are a message is being sent to us which is poking at our little world that says we are the center of everything. And it's trying to remind us, no, in fact, we are not. And we're not okay with that message because we want to be at the center. That's the real reason that we're impatient, right? So what, what is all this saying? We don't have enough. We're really important. We're entitled. We're deserving. We know what's best. And we're the center. What is all that saying about what God has done and who He is? I mean, you, you probably don't go around saying this because you don't really think that you believe it. But by saying this about ourselves, we're actually saying something about God. And we may not have verbalized it yet, but we actually believe it in our hearts. It's in there. It just needs to come out so that we can repent of it. But it's in there. So what are we saying about who God is? Yeah, so God wants to frustrate us. He's testing us. What does that say about God? If we believe that God is just... His sole aim is just to test us over and over and over again. See how it's, you start to get a picture? Like if, if who God is doesn't match up with this thing, then, then who we think He is is the one that needs to go, not this list. That's how you submit yourself to the authority of the Word is that you believe these things about God above the list that you create in your mind based on what you think He's done. That's when you're actually growing up into Him and you're actually submitting yourself to His Word. And he really just wants to frustrate us and test us. He wants to poke at us because he doesn't love us. Yeah. No, worse than a teacher, right? A taskmaster, right? I mean, if we're being honest, how is he going to respond to this test, to this trial, to this thing? See, and we get angry at God because we believe these things about him. 
When we're put into situations that cause us to have to have patience, we think, God, you are just a taskmaster. You don't care about my heart. You just want to do stuff to me. Why are you frustrating me? Why aren't things working out the way that I want them to? Don't you realize I'm at the center of this whole thing? We laugh, but it's true, isn't it? It's really true. I mean, I'm glad we can laugh about it. Part of the laughing about it is the ridiculous of it when you actually say what's going on in our hearts. You go, man, that's ridiculous. How in the world could I believe that? It's true. What else? Yeah, and oftentimes we just think that God wants to uh, produce a circumstance rather than produce something in us. And we're oftentimes not okay with what he puts us through. His intention is to actually want to produce something in us, not just for us to get something out of life, right? Go ahead, Corey. So, so God, God is a burden giver, not a burden lifter. I just heard, oh. Makes sense, right? See how that's related to being impatient? Um, I'm, run, I'm out of room, so go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so it's other people's fault. It's them trying to be at the center of the world. That's the real issue. <laughs> and, they're, and what they're doing is just, you know, they're being sinful. I'm not so sinful, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't need change. I need a change of circumstance, not a change of perspective. Yeah, because... <laughs> right, never pray for patience. That's the moral of the story. <clears throat> Here's the thing. If you're being put in a situation where it causes you to pray, God, give me patience, He is. He, the reason He's put you into the situation that requires patience is simply because He wants to produce the patience in you, and He's actively doing it. See, see how that works? You know, oftentimes, we want to just go, we don't want to do any of this because we don't really want to change. We just want to be in a different circumstance that doesn't require patience. And so we do this process with ourselves where we go, I'm not patient. I need patience. God, just super glue it to the tree. (laughs) Don't change the roots of who I believe you are. And that never works. Because everything that appears on our tree is a process of who we believe that God is. You can't get different fruit on your tree without changing the root system. You can't do it. And yet, so oftentimes we try. And, and here's the thing. We, we tell other people to try the same methods. And so if you're not patient or you're not you know, grace-filled and compassionate, in a sense we say, don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Or at the very best, we go, don't worry, God loves you, be happy. That's still not enough, right? We need a different root system. So here's the thing. How do we build it up? We need to actually retrain ourselves to dwell richly on the message of the gospel. That's the way that we do it. Dwell richly on the message of Christ. Let it be the thing that saturates the community because as you do this, it'll lead you to this. Right? So what is this? Who actually is God? Is He a... Is he a frustrator? Is he a tester, a taskmaster? Is his work insufficient? Is he not good? Is that actually true? Okay, rebuild the image for us then. Who is God? 
What's true about him? Yeah, which was the original lie, right? In the garden, when Satan comes to Adam and Eve, he says, did God really say that? He knows that you're not sufficient. He knows something about you. He's holding back from you. He is not good. And you, he is, he is withholding some kind of good from you that you could get through some other means. And really, it's the opposite. It's the one who's deceiving who's the one who's not good. And God is the one who gives the good gift. But it switches that in our minds, right? So who is God? We need to rebuild the picture of who He is. Okay, good. In relation to patience, who is God? He's patient. Yeah. Good. What else? The definition of loving is giving someone else exactly the thing that they need at the time that they need it. It's how you know someone is loving. Is when they overlook their needs for the needs of someone other than themselves at the moment in which they need it. That is the definition of God's character, by the way. What else? Somebody said something else. He's good. Ah, good. You know, the, big, the, the, like, the million dollar word for that is sovereign. He, he is enacting a plan for His glory and your good at every moment of every day. He is orchestrating it all for the good of His creation at every single moment and has an end in mind for it. He's sovereign. What else? He's giving. Or He's a giver. Maybe that's a good way to say it. What else? Uh, okay, so He's everywhere. Or he, he, he knows everything. So He sees everything from every angle, even the things that we don't. So we often think that we're the infinite ones and He's the finite one. And we, it, it, here's the way you know that you believe that in your hearts is because you pray from your perspective thinking that God doesn't know it. You know? So you, you say certain things to God like, don't you know I need patience? Yes, He does. He sees it from your perspective. He understands where you're coming from and He understands every other perspective too. Simultaneously. At every moment. And yet we flip that and we give our, our perspective more importance, more weight than we do God's perspective. And just so we're clear, that means that we're glorifying ourselves rather than God. We are glory givers to ourselves rather than God in that moment. He's the glorious one because He knows everything. Yeah. So that kind of moves us into maybe the category of what has God done? How do we know that He knows everything? How do we know that He's patient? How do we know that He's a giver? How do we know that He's good, He's loving, He's sovereign? See, if, if you don't fill in the why, you'll never believe the what. If you, if you don't go, God, I need patience, I don't have it, I believe you're good, therefore make me patient, but you never actually fill in why you know what you know, you're not actually growing in Christian belief. Anyone can say God is good. In fact, I know a whole bunch of people that, that will say that God is good and yet they don't live as though He's good because they haven't connected the dots of what He's done. How do, how do we know these things about God? Yeah, and so we need to know maybe the story of God's enacting those things to us if we're going to grow in, in them. So, so He is those things. How do we know that He knows everything? Take that one as an example. How do we know? Okay, he made everything. 
He's the creator of everything, the heavens and the earth. You never experience anything that God has not put his hand on to create. What else? Yeah, and, and, and God often communicates his love then through other people as they live out the image bearing of God. So it's not just that people care, it's that God is caring through them to us as they're, you know, that's, that's the process that he often works. So, yeah, good. Right. Yep. That goes back to the knowing, right? Is, is he's the one with the perspective and he's the one with the plan and we're the ones that don't have those things oftentimes. We think that we do, but we really don't. See, God, and, and, and in fact, God knows everything and he knows our needs before we know our needs. What was our greatest need? What's the greatest need you and I have ever had? Forgiveness, reconciliation, grace, love, mercy, acceptance, being brought back into the family of the one who created you. God knew you needed that before you knew it, and He gave it to you before you could ask for it. Isn't that awesome? He knows you. If He knew that about you, do you think He knows that you need patience? And Do you think He's prepared to give it to you? The one who did not withhold his own son, how will he not along with him also give you all things? That's what Romans says. He'll give it to you. How do we know that he's a giver? Because he gave his very best. He wasn't waiting around testing you to see if you were worthy for the gift. He gave his best while you were yet a sinner. You did not deserve the gift of his son and he gave it to you anyway. How do you know that he's good? Because the best thing that God can give you is Himself because He's the one who made you. And He gives that to you in abundance, both through His Son and then through His Spirit that lives in you when you come to know Jesus. Moment by moment, day by day, you have access to the Creator of the universe and prayer through Him. Is there anything you can get that's better than that? Anyone that you could run to that has more resources than that one? No, of course not. He's good. And He's patient. You know how long he waits around for you to get the truth of his word? (laughs) You know how understanding he is? And every time you don't get it, and every time you disbelieve who he is, and every time you run to someone else as the source of life, and every time that you run to some other thing thinking that will be enough for you when really it's not, he's patient and long-suffering with you. Over and over and over again, his arms are open wide to you, just waiting for you to return home and slowly whispering into your life, come back to me. Come back to me. In fact, if you look at the sweep of history, he was willing to wait thousands upon thousands of years to send his son at the exact moment that we needed him most. I mean, I just often think of that. Like, God could have done it at the beginning of history, like right after Adam and Eve fell. Like, just bring him in, like right there. And yet He was patient with us. Because here's the thing about us. We need to see that all the other things don't work before we'll come back to the one that does. We need to actually experience them ourselves. And God gave us generation upon generation of experienced things that don't fulfill us. He was willing and patient to wait for us. So in the fullness of time, He would send His Son at the exact moment that we needed Him. He's patient with us. And He's sovereign Even when we think that life was going off the hinges and off the track, God was in control of everything. At the moment when the world looked like it was completely out of control, when the Son of God was dying on a cross, 
the one who's lived for all eternity, is hanging on a cross, suffering for the sins of humanity. Those that were following Jesus weren't like, hey, everything's in control. It's all good. God's got a plan. Don't you worry. They were freaking out. Most of them had left. The only one that was there is John, and he's quaking in his boots, wondering what in the world is going on. God must not be on the throne. And at that moment, it's when God was most on his throne, doing the thing that we needed at the time that we needed it. So if you believe that about who God is, it leads you to a different belief about who you are. Right? Because I am important, but the reason I'm important is because God says I'm important, not because I've done something to gain importance. The reason that I don't have enough is because I need more of Him. It's true that I don't have enough, but I'm not going to get it from having things my way when I want them. I'm going to get them from having Jesus in my life even when I don't have the things that I think I need. It's not that I don't need to change. I desperately need to change. The whole reason I need Jesus in the first place is because I didn't have the ability to change myself. I think I'm entitled, but I'm entitled to nothing. In fact, I've earned for myself death because I've walked away from the giver of life. And yet, He gives me a title and a place in His family and His kingdom even though I don't deserve it. I think I know what's best for myself, but I have a Father in Heaven who knows better than I do because of what He's done. And I am not the center of my world. He is the center of everything. And He knows better than I do. And He sees more clearly than I do. And if I know all those things about myself at the moment that I need patience, guess what? I'm going to have a lot more grace and forgiveness for other people, even when they press against my patience. See, we need to be able to speak the Gospel to ourselves over and over and over again. We need to do it to ourselves and we need others to do it to us. See, this is the result of letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, is that you end up overflowing in the things that God produces in you. You focus on Him and who He is and how He's changing you. He focuses on changing you. I, I just I want to remind you, too, that if you're seeing these things start to appear on your tree, it's the result of God's activity in you by the Holy Spirit. And so we should be thankful. Not giving ourselves credit, not going, man, I'm such a gentle, loving, kind person. But God, thank you for producing things in me that weren't in me before. Thank you for doing that in spite of me sometimes. And I just want to say this too. Parents, do this with your kids. Please, don't lead them to try to produce things on their tree without ever leading them to Jesus. It will not go well for them. If you can do that, if you can parent your kids without ever having to bring up Jesus, then you're not leading them up into Jesus. You're leading them up into some other message. Please, parents, let's learn how to do this for our kids. I want... I want them saturated with the knowledge of Jesus so that they can actually be the types of kids that we want to see them grow into adults as. It will only happen this way. All right, I want to give you an exercise. We're going to pray and and, uh, take communion together. Um, But in your communities this week, look at the rest of this list and prayerfully ask the Spirit, what area do I need to grow in? 
And then have a discussion as a group about how the gospel actually confronts my unbelief in that area and leads me out into true belief. It'd be a great thing to do as a community. Just take the list that we've already done and go through areas so that you might actually learn to do this for one another. I know this feels very wooden and like a very like structured way of doing it, but it's just like putting training wheels on a bike. You weren't meant to ride a bike with training wheels, but you were meant to ride a bike without them, but the way that you do that is by putting training wheels on the bike. So think of this as the training wheels to actually riding a bike in freedom.